San Diego's talk radio leader, 760 KFMB presents It's Your Money and Your Life. For the next hour, Richard Musio and Joe Vecchio will educate and inform you on matters related to your financial future, your life, and your leisure. Now, with It's Your Money and Your Life, here are Richard and Joe. All right, everybody, my name is Joe Vecchio, your co-host, announcer, and producer, coming to you from KFMB Studios with 50,000 watts of power. We're heard not just in San Diego County, but Orange County, L.A. County, up the coast of Seattle on a good night, down to Cabo, out to the desert. If you download the app for 760 KFMB or tune in radio, you can hear this show on any device as it airs, and all these podcasts are commercial-free on iymoney.com as well as on iTunes. And now this is the time where I usually introduce the main man of the hour. He's a CPA extraordinaire and a family office expert, Richard Musio. However, he is on assignment tonight. Night, and we have bringing you another special edition of uh, It's Your Money in Your Life with the Very Good Food Foundation uh, in control. So uh, with that, I'd like to introduce the founder of the Very Good Food Foundation, and her name is Michelle Ciccarelli Lirac. Michelle, welcome back. Uh, thanks, Joe. It's nice to be here. And uh, don't forget, we have the additional to- co-host. Of oh, oh, we're going to get to him in a second. Tommy, Tommy <laughs> we're, Two-Tone. We're going to get to him in a second. But, Tommy the Chihuahua. But tell us tonight, <laughs> ju- just set the table uh, or the real rods and reels and tell us what the show is about tonight. We're talking about sustainable seafood. You know, uh, we had a panel earlier this week, uh, Myths truths and misinformation because there's, there's a lot of, inf- well, there's a lot of bad information out there and, and sometimes it's really hard to get good information about how much seafood do I eat? What kind of seafood do I eat? Are all fish created equal? Which is good for me? Which is good for the ocean? Good mm-hmm. for my community? You know, and everybody I think wants to do the right thing. It's sometimes just hard to figure out what that is and so we've got some people here today who can tell you all about it. Yeah, well, we do, you know, f- fish farming is an issue and now we, we know there's a lot of plastic and other things in the ocean. We want to know if our fish is safe and, and uh, what the government may or may not be doing about that. But anyway, with that, our other guest this first segment is a fifth generation fisherman. He's a native San Diegan, a Portuguese background. He's a fishmonger at Catalina Offshore Products. He's the founder of Collaboration Kitchen. His name is Tommy Gomes. Tommy, welcome back. Yeah, it's good to be here. Good evening, and thank you again for inviting me back. Our pleasure. Well, Michelle only gets the best, and this is a stellar panel tonight, and you are the in the leadoff slot like Dexter Fowler for the Cubs, so how does that feel? So we're expecting a home run in Game 7 here. I'm a hockey fan. <laughs> okay. I, can, I don't, well, I don't a shot even and a goal know what sport we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, people. Hockey's fun, too. We actually have to get to a couple of uh, Gulls games this year because I know you love those things. But um, anyway, Michelle, you've got Tommy here. What are the things you... Uh, the things you'd like to ask of him. I, I, I'm just going to, you know, start with some overview issues. Um, some of the things that I think most people probably aren't aware of. 90% of the seafood that we eat is imported. 50% of that is farmed. Uh, 30% po- approximately is possibly illegal, underreported, mm-hmm. unregulated, mm-hmm. and only 2% is inspected by the FDA. And so those are some pretty serious numbers I'm guessing most of your listeners weren't aware of. Mm-hmm. So what's the alternative? Well, the alternative is to know your source, buy local, and that's where guys like Tommy come in. So Tommy, mm. as you said, he's a fifth-generation fisherman right here. His grandfather's one of the founders of the Portuguese Hall, where we had our talk earlier this week. So yeah. tell us, Tommy, what's a, what's a person who wants to eat, eat a fish supposed to do? Well, you know, those are all great stats and good points. You know, as our planet gets smaller because our population grows and grows, there's a lot of things that come in into effect here. Uh, farmed fish for one, you know, not all farmed fish is bad. There's good and bad and everything throughout our planet. Mm-hmm. And some of the things that, uh, key points is the, 
uh, influx of the imported seafood that's caught and harvested legally and illegally all over the world, and it's coming in not inspected by the FDA. Mm-hmm. Some of the other great things that are key points is, for me, uh, fishermen like me, we're, I mean, we're a dying breed. We're like the American farmer, the auto worker, the steel worker. We're a the dying farmer. breed. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why is because our electronics, our electronics have become so precise that there's nowhere for these fish to hide anymore. Mm. And even if you had a kayak, you can go to a big box store like Walmart, spend $99 and get a fish finder and go out and find a rock and pound that thing until there's nothing on it anymore. So, And tell me about the fish, these fishing uh, vessels. I mean, the, the, uh, the nets are mild. How, how long are some of these nets? These are like floating factories, right? Yeah. You know, San Diego at one time up until 1985 was the largest fishing fleet in the world. The largest in the world. And the tuna capital of the world. And the tuna capital of the world. We had 11 major canneries. Ralston, Perina, A.J. Hines, Checkerboard Square, Bumblebee, Starkist. You name it, it was oh, here. Gosh. We had one cannery that was so big that it fed... 72% of the world's tuna was coming out of out of just that one cannery. Who knew that? So wow. our biggest boat out of San Diego, and this is just an example, our biggest tuna boat out of San Diego carried 2,200 tons. <laughs> they have vessels now that carry close to 3,000 tons, and from start to finish, they can put 60 ton on the boat from start to finish in an hour and a half. But let's talk about for a minute, because that's clearly true and in a global scale. We definitely have some situation with overfishing, right? But it, let's talk about the differences between our experience locally and nationally in terms of, you know, we've, we've, ma- we've taken steps, right? We've taken steps to make sure that we don't overfish and that we make sure to maintain the fish population. So, you know, tell me what, what, what are the reasons that someone, um, you know, if we say, hey, buy local, what's the benefit? What, what do you think? Well, overfishing and overfished are both illegal if you're a U.S. flagged vessel right off the bat. You cannot actively engage in either one of those operations if it's deemed uh, overfished. How good is enforcement, though? Enforcement is pretty good because pretty good here. you've got pingers on the boat. You know, there's nowhere to hide for the fish. There's also nowhere to hide for the fishermen anymore. Everything is done through satellite tracking through the government and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, sustainability plays a big part. You have to know your source. You have to look. When you go to the store and you buy a piece of fish and it's in a styrofoam tray and on that sticker is the weight, the day it was packed, not the day it was caught, the day it was packed, Mm. and the country of origin. So you want to look at that country of origin. I mean, do you really want to buy a piece of fish coming out of Nibia? Well, that's the thing. Look, if if we do have laws here, they are pretty well enforced, and we're we're, we're making really serious efforts to maintain our fish population at the same time feeding a a population that that wants to eat seafood, Mm -hmm. right? So... I think there, there definitely is a, you know, a big difference there. So as he says, look, first of all, if you really can, and, and it's possible in more and more communities along the coasts uh, each and every day in the United States, know your fisherman, okay? And I've been told that fisherman is a gender-neutral term because fisher is kind of hard and fisher person feels weird. So I mean that in a gender-neutral way. Okay. Uh, but, but look, know that person who caught that fish. How did they catch it? Where did they catch it? You know, like I was talking to a scientist uh, that we had on the panel earlier about fish toxicity, because we've heard a lot of stuff about some fish have lots of toxins and so on and so forth. And, you know, basically it's like, how big is the fish? How long did it live? And where was it caught? Because where was it caught, right? Uh, Which is like, what kinds of water did it live in? What was the environment it, it lived in, right? And so knowing these things is not only good for the environment, 
Uh, it's probably better for your health. And then let's go back to the first point. We were talking about like fishing capital, tuna fishing capital of the world. This is San Diego. These are our friends and neighbors. This is a community mm -hmm. that we want to support. Mm -hmm. And we want to support them in a way that is going to be eco-friendly. But mm -hmm. that's possible. You know, we don't want to be in a negative growth rate with fishermen just like we are with farmers because what are we going to eat? And is it all going to be imported? And if it is, then we know we have issues. Mm-hmm. Well, let's plug Tommy's uh, location because Catalan, Catalina Offshore Products, if you want to see fresh fish coming in every day on pallets, right, Tommy? Uh, yeah, we buy direct from the boats, and, we, and uh, we have boats up and down the left coast is what we like to say. Yeah. <laughs> but, Michelle, you know, you, you, you touched on a, on a lot of points there, and, you know, you have to know your fishermen and, and know your source. And, and this was started, the mercury scare in the 70s with mm. tuna. Don't eat tuna because of the mercury scare. And then... Tuna prices started to creep up and fishermen were making money. And then came that mercury scare. And uh, the pork industry started growing and growing and growing. And then we had the swine flu. And then mm -hmm. we had the mad cow. And then the prices of our proteins are fluctuating and all of this. Mm -hmm. So there's more at stake here than just the fishermen and the farmer. Mm. You know, it's a, it's a game that's played on the economic value of the proteins in which we're consuming. Mm -hmm. So you have to look at it in that direction, too. Mm -hmm. Also... Our American fishermen are some of the most regulated fishermen in the world. And just like everything else, we have good and bad, and we have mostly good that are following the rules and regulations set forth by the powers that be. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I'd like to slam home on is that when you buy a local fish or you buy local food from your local farmer, you're keeping that money here. Mm -hmm. You're supporting Little League. You're supporting Girl Scouts. You're supporting all kinds. Local taxes. Mm -hmm. Local taxes. Well, hopefully you can pay cash at the dock and not worry about um, it. <laughs> I don't know. My mic went out. <laughs> Speaking of which, Tommy Gomes with Catalina Offshore Products. We'll be right back with more of sustainability and seafood right after this. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> all right thank you just a little gilligan music there we're back with the show all about safe harbor sustainable seafood myths truths and misinformation brought to us by the very good food foundation which is headed up by michelle ciccarelli lirac who also is a lawyer sustainable food and farm advocate and a great friend of the show and we're back with Tommy Gomes also, who is a fifth-generation fisherman and uh, runs Catalina Offshore Products down there by... Um, Lovelock. Yeah, Lovelock down there. you got to get over there, folks. It's uh, what's, uh, what's the main street, street there by Napa? Is, Marina uh, Boulevard. There you go. Yeah. By Napa. If you know where Tio Leo's is, you can find it, right? Tio Leo's. Oh, yeah. Just wander around. You'll find it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and we're welcoming in this segment the co-founder of Dr. Fish, and she's also a founder of Community Seafood. She's got a master's in uh, marine fisheries management from UC Santa Barbara. She's a crabber, a clammer, and a fisher, and her name is Sarah Rathbone. Welcome to the show, Sarah Rathbone. Thank you so much for Actually, having me. Sarah's the one who told me that you could call her a fisherman. Yeah. Fisherman. Boy, yeah. what a uh, what a resume you have, Sarah. This is unbelievable. Here. I mean, <laughs> I mean uh, you actually worked on a uh, you know on a uh, fishing vessel, and that's pretty hard work, even for a guy, right? And, and I mean, I did, I did, and I didn't. I don't really like to claim that as uh -huh. uh, as something that I accomplished because I only lasted one season and uh -huh. realized that uh, it was much more difficult than anyone ever thought possible. So yeah. I, I transitioned quite quickly to sort of a dock representative role, somebody who 
but um, is representing the fishermen and, yeah. and speaking on their behalf. But East Coast raised, uh, born and raised, right? You grew up with, your, your, I guess, your dad in the Marsh Flats of Cape Cod. That's Massachusetts, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I've been there. I know where that is. We have and, a lot in common. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll talk about that later, Tommy. <laughs> We're having a fish matchup right here. And then, uh, <laughs> and then you worked with the Spiny Lobster Boat full, full-time crew, and then you started up uh, this Dr. Fish, uh, Dr. Dish Dr. thing. Dr. Dish, yeah. I like this. Far- uh, Michelle, you must love this. From farm to table, and she's doing boat to table. So, uh, which is what Tommy Gomes does as well. But anyway, what would you like to cover with Sarah this segment, Michelle? Well, I, I mean, I, look, I want, to, you know, Tommy and Sarah to talk amongst themselves because they're both doing great work trying to get the word out. And, mm-hmm. and, and really, look, I'm so glad that you raised the point about how hard it is to fish. This is what we say about, like, we have to remember once in a while that the people who actually raise, grow, or catch our food really work hard and we mm. ought to do what we can to support them and particularly look where we are in san diego yeah. we have more farms per capita we're surrounded by the ocean we have lots of great fish i mean and yet most of us you know expect to go to the store and want salmon and sea bass yeah. seven days a week when we have all this amazing stuff right here that a would be better for us b better for the environment and c would support our community and our local fishermen so yeah. take it from there Sarah. yeah well ten t- ten thousand farms in our county by the way right michelle i learned that from your one of your past you shows go. so i but, keep forgetting the number it changes but, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but Sarah had such great uh, talking points on her her resume here. 90% of the seafood is uh, we eat is imported. Did you go over all that earlier? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, is it true that we've wiped out 90% of the big fish, uh, large fish, in the last 50 years? I've been keeping here approximately. Is that about right? You know, there are okay. there are global stats that are very concerning, and that's really, that circles right back to why you need to know where your fish is coming from. Mm. Um, the, the fishermen who uh, fish domestically, U.S.-based fish, Fishermen are, um, they really are very well regulated and our laws are so strictly enforced and it's really time for you, the consumer to start asking those hard questions about where their seafood comes from so that we can start putting our money where our mouth is mm. and making sustainable choices with our wallet. Um, yeah. And that really starts with knowing where that product is coming from. Well, I'll tell you, there's a problem that brought to my attention. You know, these uh, the shark fin soup, and even in in San Diego, they are killing sharks just for the shark fin, and uh, and, and it's it's tragic. I mean, you've been hearing much about this, Tommy. Those, it's illegal for a U.S. flag vessel to actively engage in that type of harvesting of anything. With, but I think there's like, a black market going on, even in this country. Not in not in San Diego. Okay, well, I'm going to put you. I in guarantee. Touch with, I guarantee you. All that. right, you and Bill because Powers. Because it's easier to live on your boat. And fish off your boat, then it is easier to live in your house right. and fish off your front porch. You don't want to lose your house, and that's what will happen. Well, this is the problem in this conversation, though, is that we do hear a lot about global statistics. And the global statistics are alarming in many instances. But yeah. that's why we keep saying, like, you don't want to sound jingoistic. However, there really is a difference. We have a lot of laws, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we enforce them. Uh, and so it does make a difference so that if you do care about the environment, in addition to your own health and your community health, then choose buying local is the choice for you. And mm-hmm. I think, Michelle, we, you and I were talking about this. Um, I don't think people really realize how that oversight, because fish is, is enigmatic. It's under the ocean. It's really hard for people to understand how many fish there are left. But what's important to know that is in the United States, we log all of the fish that we bring in. Hmm. Every single pound of fish that I buy on the docks directly from our boats is written down pound for pound, species by species, and all of that information is immediately transferred. It's actually moving to an electronic system to mm. decrease the lag time between management decisions 
and and uh, enforceable action you can take in order to prevent overfishing from occurring. In so, the which United federal States. agencies are in charge of that? The just the here. Department of Fish and Wildlife is the one that um, that sort of starts to categorize all of that information, and then there's numerous others that that but put the that management Magnuson into place. Stevens Fishery Conservation Management Law, which is the one that sort of sets in place all of the research and all the statistics that are gathered each and every year to make sure that all our fish populations are, you know, being maintained. But one, one thing that's being missed here is yes, we we are getting away from the paper logs and the log books and all of that and we are going to be going electronics. The fishermen are going to pay for that. That's going to be another added yeah. expense to us. Just like the eburps and the trackers and the pingers and everything else that we have to put in our boats in order to fish that expense is being put on us mm. it's not being paid by the u.s tax dollars it's not being subsidized by the american government it's being paid out of our pocket period which is really it's really shocking when you i mean that's a big big issue is looking yeah. at how subsidized our our domestic farm activities are and we have these well-cared-for um, wild fish populations, and our fishermen are not being granted the same kind of aid to mm. ensure their survival as well, I remember we as talked a about community. earlier the idea that, you know, good food isn't cheap and cheap food isn't good, right? I mean, we, the consumers, are going to have to be prepared to pay a little bit more for fish that has been fished locally, appropriately, and in compliance with all the laws. And, you know, we, we've got to really own that. But that and, but being said, also, I mean, it's really important to note that, yeah, uh, good fish isn't cheap and cheap fish isn't good, but there are some unexplored, underrepresented, unloved species that are out there that people have just never heard of because they keep coming back to the things that they know and that they're familiar with, the salmon, the tuna, the swordfish. And if we keep on hitting on those big top predator species there will be a problem. We will fish them to, mm -hmm. to dangerous levels. Mm -hmm. However, if you diversify your palate, if you go out of your way to figure out other types of species that are being caught domestically, you're really, you're be, doing your part in terms of what the sustainability. Would, what would be some good suggestions in that regard? I mean, uh, Tommy, Tommy and I were I talking about uh, <laughs> about the long, long spine thorny heads, short spine thorny heads. There's yeah, I mean, these are all the, sorts of things. What so are they, one lobsters? thing that I learned... I fished for seven different governments all over the world. <laughs> I got boots on deck and time behind the, in a pilot house. So let me tell you. That's why I'm not a fisherman. The, <laughs> ugliest, the ugliest fish is the most tasty. Really? Yeah. Just like produce, Grenadier. by the way. <laughs> Grenadier is the ugliest fish you have ever seen. Look at the monkfish. What, what is? It, the monkfish. Well, the Grenadier, Grenadier is a, is a Grenadier. bycatch of our black cod fishery. Yeah, they really? come from very deep down. It is the ugliest thing, just unequivocally, just <laughs> I'm cracking up because it is. Bug oh, it sounds eye, like I need the ugly big fish head, movement. rat tail. It's got it's got something. I mean, akin to dragon scales across oh it. Yeah. It is ugly, and, and it is the, one of the sweetest, most most it's it's yeah. rich and flaky Let's and call it a delicacy it is it really is and it's just a shame that people do not explore all that the ocean has to offer we, we call it 13.95 a pound well not <laughs> <laughs> well, get Tom, it today you heard it right fish. here <laughs>
Oh, wait, but also there's not just, wait, I want to make this okay. point. It, it's not just different, you know, species, but different parts, like how much, you oh, know, gets yeah. cut and thrown on the, the last time we had an event like this, we asked Tommy, said, Tommy, save us all the cut scraps that fell on the floor yeah. for the weekend. And that's what we served. And people loved it. You I have mean, to utilize the whole fish. The fish doesn't come out of the ocean in a box. <laughs> so that <laughs> Gordon's fisherman, he lied. Don't trust that guy. <laughs> so Tommy, one of your collaboration kitchens, we should have an ugly fish event or whatever. Yeah. And uh, the, ugly and delicious. So no, we, we need to start a campaign like the ugly fruit and veg campaign. Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. Like this thing has been huge, and it's made people realize this about produce. You know how much we throw away and waste. And in this instance, we can reach out to the less beautiful population. The less the, the underloved. <laughs> They're well, underloved. Well, the Very Good Food Foundation puts a lot of those on. We'll talk more about that with Michelle Chickarelirac when we come back. Hang on. All right, we're back with the award-winning It's Your Money and Your Life, and this is a time where we like to thank our sponsors, and Richard's not here, so I have to do it. So, UBS, we like to thank Drew Friedis and Michael Caranta for all their great work and their award-winning wealth management team. Signature Analytics and Jason Kruger, they provide great CFO services and CPA services now with seven offices in four states. Polito Epic, the best CPAs on the planet, as Richard likes to say, sharp new offices in San Marcos. Carl Scheeler, formerly with Berkeley Research Group, now helping veterans with PTSD at his Two Bears Ranch in Durango, Colorado, getting great results using his equine therapy. And we'd like to thank Joel Greshkin and Kurt Gotro with Cost Segregation Initiatives, helping real estate owners improve their cash flow through expert use of the income tax code and cost segregation. And the law office of Brenda Geiger, tops in their fields of asset protection and estate planning. And Lane Elliott and Sean Puckett with California Republic Bank, soon to become Mechanics Bank. They specialize in serving wealthy families and family offices. Hub International, and uh, also known as Mars Maddox Insurance, Neil Steely and his group, best in the business in the area of employment benefits. The Lombardi Group, connecting CPAs with attorneys throughout the U.S. with great educational events, providing uh, 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 programs for uh, wealth advisors. Paul Hines and Hearthstone Private Wealth Management, um, and also heads up the Senior Safe and Sound uh, organization. Their mission is to fight uh, the financial abuse of elders, and uh, there's great information at SeniorSafeAndSound.org. Michelle St. Clair and Elite Lifestyle Management, providing top-level concierge services for extremely busy, high-level clients. Nathan Watkins with Worldwide Financial can help you get the best real estate loans possible out there right now. And, of course, the Very Good Food Foundation, headed up by Michelle chicarelli Lyrac. They spread the word about and host events about the importance of good food and good health and sustainability. And also, and last but not least, Lestat's Coffee Houses, uh, now serving great coffee, beverages, soups, salads, and sandwiches at all three locations, Normal Heights, University Heights, and Mountain Hillcrest, all open 24-7, 365, so you can get together there and talk all about food and sustainability. And to learn more about our, uh, our sponsors, just go to iymoney.com, uh, easy for me to say. Get your cursor over to the Sponsor tab. There's a drop-down menu there, and uh, you can learn about all our sponsors uh, on that page. And many of them have been working with Richard for many years uh, with great success, uh, up to 30 years for some of them. So they're handpicked, and, and there you go. But anyway, we are back with Michelle Ciccarelli Lirac, founder of the Berry Good Food Foundation. And uh, we also have back with us Sarah Rathbone, the co-founder of Dr. Fish and founder of Community Seafood. And uh, replacing Tommy Gomes, and in for him is Corinne Bush. She's a clinical nutritionist, executive vice president, certified nutrition specialist. And uh, a long resume, but I don't want to take any more time because Michelle wants to ask questions about nutrition and seafood, I believe, right? Yes. We want to hear the good, the bad, and the ugly about eating <laughs> fish. Take it away, Corinne. Well, <laughs> oh, thank you for being here. <laughs> you know, fish is an almost perfect food, clean fish. It, uh, a serving of fish contains about a half of our daily protein needs for the average American. 
It also contains B vitamins and minerals like selenium, which are really important for protecting us from toxicity, which we're going to talk about in a minute. And then certain fish are sources of omega-3 fats. And these are the the deep cold water fish like salmon and, and mackerel and herring and sardines. These fats are almost gone from our food supply. And hence, they're almost gone from the cells of human beings. Mm. They're vitally important to protect us uh, in terms of their anti-inflammatories. Important for our brain, aren't they? Very important for the brain and brain development in, in, in fetuses I wonder if and there's children. A, is there a nexus between that and maybe Alzheimer's or some other degenerative uh, brain disorders or diseases? I wonder. Well, there certainly is. There's plenty of research to indicate, yes, that as our omega-3 levels uh, decline, uh, many, many chronic diseases are on the rise. And also re- uh, the decline in omega-3s is actually reducing our lifespans. Mm. How about that? So, so fish is good. <laughs> Clean fish is good. Yes, Eat okay. more fish. Yeah, but we were talking, you know, last night we had that conversation with our friend at the Scripps Research Institute, uh, excuse me, Scripps Institute of Oceanography. Mm-hmm. It's a mouthful. Uh, about, you know, toxicity issues. And, and this was raised in our last segment. You know, we, there was a scare about mercury, and there's some concern, right? But is that the only concern? Is it the biggest concern? Is the information that we have good? And is the, are there any easy answers? Yeah, well, there's certainly no easy answers. But what we do know is that there are about 200 contaminants that are measured in fish. And the thing about it is that they, they make their way up the food chain. And so they start with the microalgae, and as the, the fish... Uh, is eaten by larger and larger fish, the, the, those poisons concentrate and amplify. And so if we're eating a fish that is uh, at the top of the food chain, it might well be contaminated with toxicants that, you know, food is information. So these toxins actually scramble the signals in our cells and our hormones and, and are responsible for uh, growing rates of many of the d- diseases that we have that, today. A lot of that depends on where the fish came from, though, right? Definitely. So uh, that just brings us right back to knowing a little bit more about where your fish is coming from, who is catching it, and even how it's caught. Um, There are some incredible, uh, there's some incredible information about that out there. I mean, if you insist on continuing to eat those top predators, you are going to be taking more contaminants into your system. And there's Um, other reasons not to do it too, right? I mean, there are other reasons. (laughs) Obviously, we're just, uh, let's focus on nutrition here. You can diversify your palate, eat lower down on the food chain, and already you're making a healthier choice, not only for the sustainability of those top predators by spreading the effort and focus of the American populace across many more different types of species, but also in terms of the nutrients and the toxin loads that you're taking in. But fishing method also plays into uh, plays into this big question here. Um, I can I can think of one right off the top of my head, which is the albacore hook and line caught or troll caught albacore tuna. While it is a top predator, that type of method automatically selects for younger fish, and younger fish have lower toxin levels and lower levels of mercury. And for some reason, uh, over time and as the fish ages, omega-3s start to leach out of that fish. So not only are the younger tuna lower in contaminants, lower in mercury, um, but they actually have three times more omega-3s than their older uh, older brothers and sisters, I suppose. Mm. So it, uh, that, yeah. that, for me, that really plays into 
knowing sure. who your fisherman is and how it was caught. Well, and I think, too, that the, you know, the major thing is to look first at where we can, uh, I'm speaking as a human health nutritionist, where we can leave these toxins out of our systems, and exactly what you said, Sarah. And then are there ways that we can handle toxins uh, uh, perfectly? And actually, we can't handle them perfectly, but we can upregulate our own innate detoxification mechanisms and there's are, is a the, lot pla of work is the plastic in the oceans a, a big problem is uh, I mean we are we are passing some propositions now to help us ban ban plastics uh, plastic bags is that going to help I think so mm -hmm. you know we see lower lowering levels of legacy toxins like mercury and DDT mm. over the last 30 years mm -hmm. now the plasticizers are just coming into the force so we really don't know even they haven't all been named we haven't studied them um, but certainly as we begin to put some research behind it and, and start to address it. Well, they say those gyres, the plastic gyres out there are um, pretty daunting. So I hope we're making a, making a dent in those. Have you, you know much about that, Sarah, at all? Or I mean, I do in the sense that, that you do find it. When you, when you process a fish, when you cut open its stomach, you see whatever it is it has ingested over, um, over mm. the last 24, 48 hours. And sometimes some of the things can be quite surprising. Mm. And, and what's really bad about, I mean, we're getting a little off topic with the, <laughs> the nutrition aspect, but um, what's really uh, disturbing is that often plastic bags can be mistaken as uh, their target prey mm. for a lot of these different species. Jellyfish, they right? look like jellyfish. Yeah. Um, hmm. They look like uh, some amorphous creature that, that that species wants to eat, and they get ingested well, that I'll way. Well, talk to Tommy Gomes at the break and see what he's, uh, when he cuts them open, what he's found in there. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> sure, look, some I, I pretty think, surprising things. I think, I think the bottom line here is let's, let's not get too obsessed with toxicity on the one hand, because if you're going to still eat the bag of Doritos, don't obsess about which fish and right, how big. Right, okay, right. let's just right. get real for a minute. Right. Uh, on the other hand, you know, if you're going to go down the path of knowing your fish, knowing where it came from, it's important to know it in addition to its where it was caught and how it was caught, its age, its size, you know, all, some more details about your fish. And, and why shouldn't you know that? Like, that's the kind of information we're trying to find about most things. And by the way, then, then you meet your fisherman. Get to know the person who caught it for you. You'd be pretty surprised. They live just down the road. Mm -hmm. uh, better for you, better for the neighborhood, better for the environment. Are there things we, uh, since we have a nutritionist here um, in the store, is there, so, is there something, way we can identify which which fish might be not so good to buy? Um, um, you well, hear, you yeah, hear, what you hear I, about colorizing and all these things. Mm -hmm. and, well, what I like to do is look to really good research sites like Monterey Bay Aquarium, Seafood Watch, and the Environmental Defense Fund also has an, an excellent website that disseminates the um, information from lots of these groups that I point my clients to. Mm. So those are some resources. Well, we'll put all of that information on it. We have to take our little break, though, right now. It went so darn fast. But thank you, Corinne Bush, for being with us, and Sarah Rathbone. And uh, we'll come you. back with more about sustainable seafood right after this. Hang on. Sailing away into the home stretch here with Michelle Chickarelli Lirac, Very Good Food Foundation. It's all about sustainable seafood, this program. Um, Sarah Rathbone is back with us for this segment, but also we are welcoming on the, on the phone. Um, she's got a, uh, she's port, with the Port of San Diego program manager for the Aquaculture and Blue Tech program. She's got a master's from the University of Stirling in Scotland in aquaculture, and she's a former research fish biologist at uh, NOAA, which is the National Ocean, you must know this, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. And it's Paula Sylvia. Paula, how are you? 
I'm very good, thank you. Excellent. And then also in studio, we have with us another marine biologist with Southwest Fisheries Science Center in, in uh, NOAA, and uh, also an expert in tuna and migratory species. She's got her doctorate, or PR, you want to say PhD, in marine biology from Scripps Institution of Oceanography, Heidi Dewar. How are, you? How are you, Heidi? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Outstanding. Well, Michelle, you got some real heavyweights for this segment. Um, Lots of science here in the yeah. house right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Those little archers are getting a little bit intimidated. Look, earlier we were at, you were asking about the laws that are in place, and, mm -hmm. and one of them that we talked about briefly, you know, sort of sets in place the kind of statistics and the oversight and the research that, that certainly Heidi works on and, and uh, everyone sitting here right now is knowledgeable about. So tell us a little bit about... What do we do in this country in terms of making sure that our fish population is, is tended to? Um, the U.S. probably has some of the most strict fisheries management laws in the world, actually, and that's sort of borne out by some of the comparisons that are made internationally about how, how we're doing as far as management goes. But we've got the Magnuson-Stevenson Act, which is a fisheries act. There's the Endangered Species Act. There's the Marine Mammal Protection Act. There's the Migratory Bird Act. There are a lot of different regulatory bodies that mm -hmm. sort of over, watch over our management um, processes. And at the Southwest Fisheries Science Center, there are different groups. And at most of the science centers, you'd have people who do the stock assessments, so take all the catch data and the larval data and try to figure out if fish are being overfished. Um, and then you have people like myself who try to feed data into those um, stock assessments, looking at you know how old fish are, where they're going, what their stock structure is. And then we're also trying to move towards ecosystem management. And for that, you really need to have connections between species. So we're also doing things like looking at foraging ecology to figure out who is eating whom, how many, and how that changes in different environmental conditions. Wow. What are the major concerns uh, that are out there today? Um, for the U.S., we're doing a pretty good job, actually, of managing the fisheries. Um, we've got, you know, 80 to 90 percent of our stocks are in good health. Um, the biggest concern, I would probably say, is climate change, because there are some pretty extreme um, projected changes in the North Pacific, ranging from temperature to reductions in pH, which will go way beyond impacting just the fish that we think about to impacting, um, you know, bivalves like oysters, clams, those sorts of things, I and think, even to the, the phytoplankton levels. So. I think it's really important to note, too, um, the average consumer doesn't realize that climate change is not sort of a future uh, yeah. apocalyptic scene where, you know, you have like a scene from deep impact and all of our cities are on, on along the coast <laughs> right. are flooded. We're talking about things that are currently happening mm -hmm. yes, and that are currently having a huge effect on the type of fish species we see, their abundance in the ocean, and um, and our ability to adapt to such a drastically changing ocean is it's it's being challenged mm. for sure. It's funny because we we've sort of been talking about fishing and its effect on the environment, and we haven't so much been talking about the effect of the changing environment on the fish fish population. And mm -hmm. and and I'm so glad that you raised that because we have to sort of think of it from both sides because one is happening one we're trying to manage and the other one is already upon us you know and there's something we haven't brought up and i'm glad that uh, paula's on the phone we've been talking about look people you know there are more and more people on the planet we understand the growth that's expected and we know how much fish is being consumed and where we are in terms of how much more we can get out of the ocean safely 
and appropriately. And then the question is, where is the additional growth going to come from? And Paula, that sounds like a cue for you. <laughs> yes. So um, we know that in the U.S., well, globally, but if you bring it down to the U.S. level, you know, we import 91% of the seafood uh, that we eat. 50% of that comes from um, aquaculture operations. So our biggest, you know, need is trying to fill gaps um, in our own domestic seafood supply for food security reasons and for for other reasons. So, um, so aquaculture is, you know, increasingly playing a larger role in being able to either, um, you know, be be used to support re- replenishing wild fisheries or to grow food directly for food consumption. Now, Paula, uh, I think I talked to you about this before, but there was a global aquaculture group that did a survey, a consumer survey, showed that 88% of, of consumers had a positive view of wild seafood, but only 15% preferred farmed. Okay, so let me ask you something. Is that fair? Does farmed fish get a bad rap? And if so, why is some deserved, undeserved? Give us the lowdown. Well, I think there's a lot more, you know, our our aquaculture industry in the United States is small compared to um, other regions in the world. And so there's less awareness from from that standpoint, just from an industry perspective, trying to get its its voice out there. Um, but, yeah, certainly uh, as an aquaculture person, you know, I feel like there's a lot uh, more positive information that could be relayed out there to complement, you know, the wild fisheries piece. Mm-hmm. Did you help out, uh, Paula, with the uh, the dockside uh, program down in San Diego where we can get fresh fish uh, every weekend now right off the boats? Yeah, the Port of San Diego um, is 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 part of that program as well and uh, helps get it started with the with uh, the range of fishermen that operate at the docks there. So we support it and we think it's a great idea mm-hmm. and hopefully <clears throat> it's a growing idea. I got to tell you, I was at a, an organization recently, a gathering of lots of local NGOs focused on food and the environment. And a proposal was set forth where they'd like to see that open seven days a week, you know, nine to five instead of one day, half a day. And and uh, I have to say that's a that's a good idea. I hope that's something you can help make happen. Yeah, we would we would be very supportive of that. Outstanding. Well, let's see what else can we cover here. Um, well, I do want to go back, I, and you gave us a quick overview, Paula, but about aquaculture again, because it's kind of the first time it's really come up. We've talked more about wild cod and fish and ocean fish. Mm-hmm. Um, but really just, you know, for example, we've, we've read about, oh, you know, population migration. We've read about uh, fish feed. We've read about pollution. I mean, are, these are we, these have been and can be problems, but there are also solutions, right? And tell us about that. How could we do it here if in the United States, who ranks, what, 15th in the world in terms of production? If we were going to do more, how can we do it right? How can we do it in, a, in compliance with the laws that we have in place? Well, um, first off, we already do it here with compliance with the laws that we have in place. We just don't do enough of it. So the most um, visible regions where we do, you know, fish farming in uh, marine waters or, you know, aquaculture, offshore aquaculture is with the salmon industry in the states of Washington and Maine, which are, um, you know, from an environmental perspective, the the most heavily regulated um, marine fish farming operations in the world. So we have really good laws and environmental laws in place. to, to, to advance it forward in other regions like Southern California, where we have clearly the largest opportunity to develop um, aquaculture, primarily because our, of our climate and our species selection and our, clo- and our proximity to markets. So I have a huge opportunity here. It's about, you know, trying to, 
you know, make the regulations be a little bit more clear to um, to allow folks to, to you know, come in and, and operate businesses. And then there's a lot of sustainability standards out, that, out there that are adopted globally for all kinds of aquaculture practices. So, you know, using them in conjunction with our own and, you know, using best management practices to support our emerging industries is, 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 is not a difficult thing to do. And it's something that we can, we can show in a stepwise process that mm-hmm. we can be really responsible here and come in, uh, you know, more, more than ever be in compliance with, you know, the rules we already have and go beyond that. And is there opportunity here? Because as Tommy mentioned earlier, we're dealing with a declining, you know, growth rate in terms of fishermen. And, you know, is there opportunity here for fishermen in aquaculture? And I think, yeah, I think actually that's something I've heard a lot of of our coastal communities talking about. And I'm so glad that, that you bring it up, Paula, is that we are similar to how heavily regulated our wild fisheries are. Our aquaculture industry is also under those same types of stringent regulations, and it actually limits our ability to start up more sustainably-minded um, aquaculture products or aquaculture operations, I should say, which which really leads us to rely on uh, under-regulated, unreported, and, and often illegal aquaculture imports as opposed to sort of growing that industry here domestically so the irony yeah. is then that if we are trying to be environmentally conscious then we're forced to buy it oh my gosh ah! we have to take a time out i can't believe it's over with but thank you so much uh, i'll start with uh paula on the phone with port of san diego paula silva thank you thank you thank to you. heidi doer marine biologist thank you to sarah rathbone and all our guests and especially to michelle chickarelli lyric thank you so much for uh, putting this all together and in, in, uh, heading this up tonight. Exciting. Um, there you go. <laughs> Richard, great. Uh, we'll see you next time. Uh, uh, Justin Hart, our board operator, mate, thanks for making it sound terrific. And uh, thank you to Craig Blanke, our, our account executive, and to Dave Sniff, our programming genius, who's All these podcasts are commercial-free on iymoney.com. We'll have all this information about the sustainable seafood there. Have a good week. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye now.